Hello, everybody. This is Nathan Seiler back again with another episode of Daily COVID Update. I hope your Sunday morning has been fantastic here today. Uh, right now, it's 2.55 p.m. Bloomington time, so that's Eastern Standard Time. Um, we're going to go ahead and get into some very fascinating articles today. Like I said, I hope you all have been having a, an amazing weekend, spending some time with family or just relaxing after a, a busy week. Of work, um, and hopefully everyone is staying safe out there. We'll go ahead and start off with some numbers, as we always do. So today, it looks like, according to John Hopkins University of Medicine, uh, right about at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, we have a little over 21 and a half million global cases. Global deaths is sitting right around 772,000, a little over. Uh, cases by country, U.S. is still leading with 5,379,000 cases. And global deaths, the U.S. also leads there at 169,745 cases. All righty, guys. Once again, this is Sunday, August 16th. So buckle up. We have three very interesting articles here today. The first one from Yale News. Uh, quick and affordable saliva-based COVID-19 test developed by Yale scientists receives FDA emergency use authorization. And this is by Michael Greenwood on August 15, 2020. So saliva-based laboratory diagnostic test developed by researchers at the Yale School of Public Health to determine whether someone is infected with the novel coronavirus has been granted an emergency use authorization by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. The method, called Saliva Direct, is being further validated as a test for asymptomatic individuals through a program that tests players and staff for the National Basketball Association. Saliva Direct is simpler, less expensive, and less invasive than the traditional method for such testing known as nasopharyngeal swabbing, or NP. That's what I'm going to call it because nasopharyngeal is uh, quite difficult to say. Uh, results so far have found that saliva direct is highly sensitive and yields similar outcomes as in pea swabbing. With the FDA's emergency use, uh, use authorization, the testing method is immediately available to other diagnostic laboratories that want to start using the new test, which can be scaled up quickly for use across the nation and perhaps beyond in the coming weeks, the researcher said. A key component of Saliva Direct, they note, is that the method has been validated with regents and instruments from multiple vendors. This flexibility enables continued, continued testing if some visit vendors encounter supply chain issues, as experienced earlier in the pandemic. This is a huge step forward to, to make testing more accessible, said Chantal Vogels, a Yale postdoctoral fellow who led the laboratory development and validation along with Doug Brackney, an adjunct assistant clinical professor. This started off as an idea in our lab soon after we found saliva to be a promising sample type of the detection of SARS-CoV-2, and now, is, now it has the potential to be used on a large scale to help protect public health. We are delighted to make this contribution to the fight against the coronavirus. The preprint on the development and validation of Saliva Direct was recently posted on MedRx IV. Development of Saliva Direct as a means of rapidly expanding SARS-CoV-2 te testing was spearheaded this spring by Nathan Grubaugh, 
and Ann Wiley, uh, assistant professor and associate research scientist, respectively, at Yale School of Public Health. After finding saliva to be a promising sample type for SARS-CoV-2 detection, they wanted to improve the method further. With saliva being quick and easy to collect, we realized it could be a game changer in COVID-19 diagnostics, said Willie, said Wiley, I, rather. Uh, with testing urgent, urgently needed, the Yale team was determined to decrease both testing times and costs to make testing widely accessible. Widespread Testing is critical to our control efforts. We simplified the test so that it only cost a couple of dollars for regents, and we expect that labs will only charge about $10 per sample. If cheap alternatives like Saliva Direct can be implemented across the country, we may finally get a handle on this pandemic even before a vaccine, said Grubaugh. One of the team's goals was to eliminate the expensive saliva collection tubes that other companies use to preserve the virus for detection. In a separate study led by Wiley and the team at the Yale School of Public Health and recently published on MedRxIV, they found that SARS-CoV-2 is stable in saliva for prolonged periods of time at warm temperatures. And that and the and that preservatives or specialized tubes are not necessary for collection of saliva. The Jackson Laboratory for Genomic Medicine in Farmington, Connecticut will partner with Yale to explore how to implement the test for a broader audience. The laboratory already analyzes patient samples for an RNA signature unique to that of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. There's a little bit more to this article. Like I said, it's another uh, long one here, but I'm glad to see that there is a saliva sample that is very accurate that might be able to be produced in large numbers because the uh, the nasal swabs they go up uh, I've heard of them called brain ticklers before uh, they do uh, they do cause a little pain I have experienced one of those and uh, they're not the funnest of things um, but you know what you got to do what you got to do sometimes and uh, I know there's several different tests but it's it's cool that Yale has developed yet another one and hopefully this one. Uh, works on a very wide scale. Alrighty, so we're going to move on here to our second article of the day, and it is from Cairo 7. Uh, it's a news outlet out of Seattle, looks like, and it's the title of this one is Researchers Project COVID Death Toll in U.S. Could Reach Nearly 300,000 by the End of the Year. Uh, and this is, like I said, from Cairo 7 News Staff. Updated August 15th, 2020 at 5.41 p.m. So let's go ahead and dive in here. Uh, the COVID-19 death toll could reach nearly 300,000 in the U.S. by the end of the year, according to new projections from the University of Washington researchers. Although coronavirus cases are coming down across the nation, researchers compared dozens of projections that reveal a bleak outcome by the end of the year. Dr. Ali Mokdad, uh, who is the University's Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation, and his team are behind the projections. We validate our models, Mokdad said. We do our quality checks, and then we project into the future. The forecast is shocking, even for researchers, because it is nearly double the current number of fatalities. Mokdad uh, told Cairo 7 that, quote, you have a big segment of the population that COVID-19 in their mind is not an issue that will impact them. The university's research shows that wearing face, face masks would dramatically drive down the projected death toll, but Mokdad said it is that 
is only if most people wear them. If 95% of Americans wear masks when we are outside our homes, we can reduce this by 70,000 deaths, he said. But according to studies, only about 50% to 60% of Americans are wearing masks. And that's also in Washington state. With that information, experts worry that the chances of lowering the number of deaths are slim. A lot of people are still resistant because we're sending mixed messages, Mokdad explained. If the University of Washington projections hold up, COVID-19 will be on track to be the third leading cause of death in the United States this year, surpassing drug overdoses, and that has doctors across the country bracing for the upcoming months. The flu season and pneumonia that will come in fall and winter, we are going to overwhelm our medical system, Mokdad said. So that's what I'm concerned about coming into the fall if we don't control this virus right now. With the state's mask mandate in place, uh, researchers found that more people wear masks when they are legally required to do so, and they believe that enforcing the mask mandate will drive down cases. So another interesting article there, um, especially the fact that uh, it's about to surpass drug overdoses for a third leading cause of death uh, in America this year. Uh, quite saddening to hear that news, but um, hopefully that's a wake-up call to all of us if we don't enjoy wearing masks. Um, they're very effective, as many studies have shown. So hopefully, uh, as more of this research becomes available, we will be able to, uh, like I said, continue to learn more about this virus and hopefully put an end to it here relatively soon. All right, and our third article today is from Medical News Today. Uh, let me go to the top of this article here. The title of it is, How Does Weather Affect COVID-19? Uh, this was written by Hilary Guit, Guite, Guite. Uh, I could have definitely pronounced that wrong. Um, from August 16, 2020, and fact-checked by Jessica Beek, uh, PhD. Uh, and this is a very, very long article. So like I said, if you want to look into this one, it's from medicalnewstoday.com. I'm going to start kind of towards the end of the article here because it talks about um, how potentially humidity and rainfall affect COVID-19, temperature, hours of sunshine, UV light, um, and then it kind of gets into the controversy, which is what I kind of want to get into down here because um, what it all means essentially is, is explained in the bottom here. Uh, so let's go ahead and dive into this one too. Uh, it says, uh, starting out here, uh, during a pandemic, a new virus will spread rapidly through a population where no one has immunity. The National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine state in their consistent consist, consensus report, excuse me, on COVID-19 transmission, there have been, quote, 10 influenza pandemics in the past 250 plus years. Two started in the Northern Hemisphere, three in the spring, two in the summer, and three in the fall. All had a peak second wave approximately six months after the emergence of the virus in the human population, regardless of when the initial introduction occurred. Researchers at Princeton University and the National Institutes of Health, Beth Bethesda, Beth Bethesda, I should say, have modeled the spread of SARS-CoV-2 in relation to the weather using data on two beta coronavirus similar to SARS-CoV-2, which usually cause the common cold. They found pandemic transmission in the, in the community was likely to be so strong it would negate the minor effects of weather changes, such as high temperatures and humidity. 
The model explains why some countries with with weak public health control measures, such as avoiding close contact, closed spaces, and crowds, and where this is not possible, wearing masks are showing high transmissions ra- transmission rates in the hot and humid summer conditions. As Rachel Baker argues in the paper, there is likely a seasonal impact on transmission, but given the high rate of susceptible people, it was unable to suppress transmission. The current outbreak in the United States would likely be worse if we didn't have the weather on our side and is likely to get worse uh, going into the fall and the winter, assuming everything else stays the same. Once we have enough people who are vaccinated or recovered, we will probably see small seasonal outbreaks of COVID-19 returning every winter, similar to colds and the flu. And that's from Marta Shockett, a PhD postdoctoral fellow from the UCLA Personal Communication. All right. Uh, And then it kind of wraps it up here. It's uh, a new study explores COVID-19 severity and weather to overcome the problem of non-weather factors that confuse the picture of seasonality and COVID-19. An international group of researchers has has analyzed the severity of COVID-19 instead of the number of cases. Using data from admissions to six European hospitals and 13 hospitals in the Zhejiang province in China, They found decreases in deaths, the average length of stay, and admission to intensive care units for COVID-19 with each additional day of the pandemic. This was found in most of the European hospitals, but not the Chinese hospitals. China's pandemic rise took place uh, entirely during winter, while in Europe, COVID-19 spread throughout the winter and spring months. Deaths decreased in the European hospitals with each unit of temperature increase but not in the Chinese hospitals. The authors disregarded improvements in treatment during February and July, citing only a small impact from the use of dexamethasone. Uh, They hypothesized the decrease in severity is related to humidity-driven changes in nasal mucus and viral clearance by nasal cilia. The findings of decreasing severity were corroborated in their U.S. and U.K. data set of 4 million citizens Self-reporting symptoms associated with COVID-19. Over 37,000 people had a symptom cluster with a close correlation to positive COVID-19 testing. There was a similar decrease in symptom duration across the course of the study. Now, what this all means, uh, this research is a preprint and observational study. Therefore, it cannot establish causal links but it does go some way to overcome the potential confounding factors in early weather and COVID-19 case studies. If COVID-19 is seasonal, experts will likely establish this in 2021 or 2022 after the main pandemic waves. In the meantime, the author suggests the importance of considering hydration for patients and the public, including the ancient practice of nasal irrigation. Providing humidified air to patients in the early stage of the disease may be beneficial. And in the situation of rapidly progressing COVID-19 pandemics, it would be essential to actively promote universal humidification of dry air in all public and private heated spaces, as well as active nasal hygiene and hydration. And what it was talking about there at the end was uh, they did a little research on the humidity levels um, and how that impacts COVID-19 infections. And they said they, they referenced other flu pandemics in the past. Essentially, the, the more humid the air, uh, the, the wetter, um, the more moist, I guess you could say, the mucus is in your nose. Uh, they acti- that activates the cilia, the little hairs 
in, in your nasal canals that can capture the viruses or the germs or bacteria or whatever you're breathing in better than in the winter months where typically your nose is, is more dry um, and, and more bacteria and particles can slip through those cilia. So overall, guys, I appreciate you guys uh, listening today. Went a little long again, but like I said, we had a lot of really interesting articles today. Hopefully you guys enjoyed all of those. Hope you guys, hopefully you guys learned something, and um, I wish you all the best on this beautiful Sunday. Have a great rest of your day. Enjoy the time with family or whatever you're doing, and I hope to see you next time. Once again, stay safe, stay healthy, and make the world a better place. Thank you all. Have a good one.